We're here, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things that are visible. Now by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous and that God testifying of his gifts and through it he might, uh, I'm sorry, and through it being dead still speaks. Also by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken he had this testimony that he pleased God. Why? Because without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And by faith Noah, being divinely warned of the things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and because of the heir of righteousness which is according to faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word, and we thank you, Lord, as we travel through the heroes of faith, this great cloud of witness as we will see tonight. Thank you, Lord, and that you'd bless those who can't be with us, Lord. Bless the brokenhearted and give them peace that passes all understanding. We thank you, Lord, for those serving up at Arrowwood and that you just be with them and strengthen their bodies. Thank you, Lord, again for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go backwards, then we're going to go forwards, and then we'll come back to uh, chapter 11. Did that make sense? Okay, let's go backwards a little bit and get a running start. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Boy, that, what a great statement that is for us. Jesus is coming. Now, the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in them. So he, he's setting this foundation of the just shall live by faith. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of our soul. Now turn to chapter 12. Simply put, this is going to be the parenthesis for chapter 11. And this is the context of it. 12.1 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us. And listen, one of the best verses in all the Bible. I know I say that all the time, but here it is. Looking unto who? I mean, don't you love, I mean, I, I, this is a couple of weeks from now, and it's a beautiful verse, but don't you love how the Holy Spirit just gave them the words to looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our, of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the writer of the Hebrews tells us that there is this great cloud of witness. So turn back now to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. So as we are running this race, as the writer is telling us, as the writer is encouraging us, and remember, these Hebrews are wanting to go backwards, but the writer is telling them to go forward, even though that they are in the midst of trials and tribulations and all kinds of turmoil going on in their life. And he says, listen, you're not the only ones who have ever gone through that. Don't you love that? We are sitting here 2,000 years later from this writer, and I say this with all love, you're not the only one on planet Earth that has had what you have gone through in your life. And because the Bible is so descriptive in people's failures, but also triumphs in their faith, this chapter by far is one of those chapters that you can always come back to And you can read the men and women through this chapter and say, they ran their race, it can be done, therefore I can do the same. Amen? I know I bring Peter up all the time, but Pete is the great example. Listen, if that guy can do it, anybody can do it. I I, I was up at Arrowwood and we were, I was just installing the last couple of pieces in the kitchen, and in the kitchen we have some speakers so we can listen to uh, Bluetooth, and I was listening to an amazing radio station all the way up in Arrowwood on my phone, and I was listening to it, and a pastor was making mention of Peter, you know, in John at the end where they've gone fishing, remember that, and Peter's like, I've had this whole apostle thing, I'm done with it, I'm going back fishing, and then they all go fishing, right, and then they're, they're out there all night, haven't caught anything, but there's somebody on the shore that says, children, put your head on the other side, and They do that, and then boom, this huge load comes in of fish, right? And John says to Peter, it's the Lord, and Peter dives in, right? We we got that whole historical count. But there's something to be missed at the end of that, where they come to the shore, and Jesus says to them, hey, bring some of the fish you caught. And it says, Peter grabbed the entire net and pulled it himself. I like that guy. But I also love that he puts his foot in his mouth. He's a man of God who isn't perfect, and yet through the Bible, we see God using men and women to strengthen one another and to strengthen us in 2021. Amen? Nice little intro there for you. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This is not the definition of faith but a description of what faith does and how it works. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. It is not a definition of faith, but it is a description of what faith does and how it works. You see, true biblical faith is not blind optimism or manufactured hope so. This isn't us saying, I hope Jesus comes back. That's wrong. I hope that too, but not in the hope way that the world thinks of hope. Everybody got that? It is a certainty. When we say hope, it is a certainty that this thing is not go- that is going to happen. It's not like, and I don't mean to use this revenue, it's not like I hope my horse comes in. Do you see the difference? Jesus has already come in. 
and it is a certainty. So when believers use the word hope, uh, did I just offend everybody with the horse racing analogy? You're like, thank God I got rid of that in my life. And if you haven't, come talk to me afterwards. So it's not a hope so. Faith is not I hope so. That's the way the world works. We believe as we will see what God's word says and what is declared to us, and it is already finished. Guys, do you know right now that Jesus, uh, because he is outside of time, because the Father's outside of time, uh, you ready to blow your mind? He sees us already communing with him in heaven. Isn't that awesome? He sees you complete. Complete. You and I should have t-shirts that say, under construction, bless the mess. Amen? A lot of you got a lot of things flying off. God sees you done. I love that. That helps me sometimes. Like, Lord, I know that you see me complete and in your presence. It's wonderful. I'm not there yet, and neither are you. But faith helps us get there. So, it's not a hope so. It is a certainty, not believing in spite of evidence. That would be superstition, wouldn't it? So we have a firm foundation, as we will see. This writer just nails it. He knocks it out of the park. Here it is. True biblical faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Did you hear that? Let me give you that definition again. True biblical faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. You see, faith is confident in the trustworthiness of God. It is the conviction that what God says is true and that what he promises will come to pass. But even some within the church don't believe some of the things that are in the Bible. How is that possible that you cannot believe the entirety of it? That you cherry pick what you want. Oh, I like that resurrection thing next week, but can he really help me through the problems of my life, through my marriage, my kids? Absolutely. So faith is confident in the trustworthiness of God. And that is what this chapter is all about. Listen, it proves without a shadow of doubt, if we were in a courtroom, they would just line them all up. Okay, Abel, Noah, Moses, Abraham, Jeremiah, and just line them all up. Give your testimony. And they would say, here is the trustworthiness of God. His faithfulness in my life, despite the circumstances that I went through, he allowed me and helped me through those times. This faith operates quite simply. God speaks and we hear his word. We trust his word and we act on it no matter what the circumstances are, again, or what the consequences are. We don't really live in a world, at least in the United States of America yet, where we have consequences. Oh, it's slowly coming. We know what it's like to have circumstances, but we don't know that second part yet of consequences, and yet the rest of the world does. And for 2,000 years, Christians have been listening to God's word despite what comes after from a government, from a whatever. 
the circumstances may be implausible. The consequences frightening and unknown. But we obey God's word just the same, and we believe him to do what is right and what is best. Did you hear that? Listen, listen to this child of God. We believe. <laughs> I hope you do, and if you don't, please, let's talk about it. We believe him to be and to do what is right and what is best because he has shown over and over in the lives of the people in the Bible and in this room that he is a good, good father and he is a loving father. And no matter what your human father was like, our father in heaven is not like that. This is where, and I know that I've shared this before, this is where people's uh, theology can break down because they attribute their human father who, and no disrespect, may have been a jerk to who the heavenly father is. And that's all the reference they have is this is what happened to me on planet earth with my heavenly father. And they don't realize that all of the proof that is in front of them shows just the opposite. That he is a good, good father. That he is long-suffering and he is patient with you. Can I get a great big amen? amen? Aren't you glad that he is patient with you? With me? <laughs> Listen, the unsaved world doesn't understand true faith. Probably because a lot of it has to do with they see very little of that faith in action in the church today. The church claims it, but they don't see it. You see, the world, as someone once said, is, defines faith as illogical belief in the occurrences of the implausible. The world doesn't understand faith like we do. The world fails to realize that faith is only as good as the object. And the object of our faith is God. Faith is not some kind of feeling, again, that we manufacture. And I don't mean to go down this path. This is why I have a problem with feeling in the church. Because it can take us down a path that we ought not. Well, I don't feel like doing a lot of things a lot of the time, amen? But we don't feel God that way. Don't go down the feeling path that so many people want to take you down. We serve a logical, reasonable God. And God says, listen, faith in me is based on what I have already done, his track record. Again, faith is not some feeling that we manufactured. It is our total response to what God has revealed in his word. And I just say this to get us going. I know that's a long intro, but do you believe the Bible? Because if you don't, then you have a problem with the next thing, and that is the faith of God and the promises of God. God help the churches in America who don't believe in the totality of Scripture, who don't believe in the infallibility of God's Word, written through men by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> if you don't believe that, why are you even here? Now, three words in Hebrews chapters 11 verses 1 through 3 summarize what true faith is. It's three simple words, substance, evidence, and witness. These help us understand what true biblical faith is. So in verse 1, it says, 
Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. So that word translated substance literally means to stand under or to support. So faith is to a Christian what the foundation of a house is to a house. Without faith, it would come crumbling down. It gives confidence and it gives assurance that he will stand so that you might say, faith is the confidence of things hoped for. When a believer has faith, it is God's way of giving them confidence and assurance that what he promised, they will be able to experience. Up at Arrowwood, when we poured the concrete pad for the barn... (laughs) Uh, because the back and the front elevation was so different, the front has almost three feet of solid concrete on the front. It's like three feet by about five feet, and then it tapers to the back. Uh, if you know anything about concrete, man, that ain't going anywhere. And not only that, it, it, the soil that it is built on, as we were just, at, Sean can attest to it. Well, let me better, his muscles can attest to it. He was in a trench for a couple of days and getting these septic lines done. And it, it's important to have a good base. It's important to have a good, strong foundation. What is your foundation on? Again, if it's on feelings, well, then that can change. But if it's on the faith that God has already demonstrated in his word, then everything is good. Now, the second one there, the word evidence, simply means conviction. This is the inward conviction from God that what he has promised he will perform. The presence of a God-given faith in one's heart is the conviction enough that he will keep his word. And we're doing wonderful. We're in verse 2. That's why we're not doing all of the guys tonight. tonight. We're just doing a few of them. For by it, the elders, or what we're about to read, obtained a good testimony or a good witness. Again, the summary of what we're about to read calls this list of men and women a great cloud of witness. That's why we read chapter 12, verse 1. They are witnesses to us because God witnessed to them. And each example cited, God give that, gives that witness Uh, of the person's faith. This witness has his divine approval on their life and on their ministry. And I want you to see this. The, The reason why I think the Bible is so amazing, and there's multiple levels, is that it even tells us about the failures of those. Who writes a book like that? If, listen, if you're starting a new religion, are you going to write all the failures of the people in it, or are you going to elevate everybody and they just seem very holy? You see, the Bible is so different. It goes in there and goes, man, these guys are messed up. But there is salvation. And that God works through the messed up. Can I get an amen there? He loves broken things. Don't you love? God loves broken things. He loves to put people back together, his tender mercy, his grace, so that we would be used in the master's hand. Look, how many of us would stand up and say, I was a mess? How many of you were going to hell? 
how many of you were going to be dead because of your sin? I mean, we all, yes, but I mean, literally, because of drugs or alcohol or whatever your lifestyle is, you knew that if you didn't accept Jesus, you were going to be laying on a cold slab. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of Jesus. And that's what this world simply does not understand. Again, I love that they look at us like a bunch of weirdos. Loving Jesus, loving each other, loving each other. Don't you love it when people come into the church for the first time and they're like, you watch them, they're like, I don't know about this. And then there's somebody who is a hugger comes right up to them and they're like, whoa, you're a little too feely there. And didn't he just talk about feelings? But there's something about that, isn't it, that the world doesn't understand. It's wonderful to hug another believer. That's why the Bible talks about a holy kiss. Now, we're, we're a little past that today because we're not French. And I don't know about you, but the first time I got that, I was like, what is going on around here? So give each other a holy side hug, amen. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made by the things which are visible. And so the writer of the Hebrews makes it clear that faith is a practical living thing. In spite of what unbelievers say, uh, faith enables us to understand what God does. Faith enables us to see what others cannot see. Hear that. Faith enables us to see what others cannot see or cannot comprehend. As a result, faith enables us to do what others cannot do. Isn't that good? Oh, I'd love to just end with that tonight. It enables us to do what others can't do. They look at you and go, how are you doing that? How are you going through that in your life? That circumstance in your life, that diagnosis in your life, that whatever just happened, how are you doing that? Let me tell you about a man named Jesus. The things which are seen were not made out of the things which are visible. Now, when we're in Genesis, especially Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 are very important, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he created the heavens and the earth, he created heat and energy and matter, things that we learn in science class. The, you science lovers, right? It is, they, it's matter and energy and light, things that are important for our universe. It wasn't a big bang. It was spoken by God. And he tells us here that in, uh, uh, energy is invisible, is it not? So are atoms and molecules and gases to the naked eye. Yet in combination, they become visible. People laughed at these great men and women when they stepped out by faith, but God was with them and he enabled them to succeed in their glory because they believed God's word. I love what Oswald Chambers said. Os I'm sorry, not Chambers, that's a different Oswald. Oswald Sanders put it this way. He said, faith enables the believer's soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. God gives us the ability to comprehend what he has declared and even his creation. Guys, Christians are not anti-science. 
we believe in biblical science. We're the ones who invented it. If you look at the great scientists in the past, they're believers. Again, the best way to grow in faith is to walk with the faithful. And those who, (laughs) not perfect, made it through the life of faith that God had promised. And what this chapter is about to do now is set forth these men and women to encourage us. And so the remainder of this chapter is devoted to a summary of the lives and the labor of great men and women found in the Old Testament. Now, if you're taking note, there are four points that are important in each of these people's lives when it comes to faith. Number one, God spoke to them through his word. At some point, God revealed himself to them. Number two, their inner selves were stirred in different ways. So they were spoken to by God, but then they were wrestling with that and then surrendered their life to God. Again, number three, they obeyed God. And number four, he bore witness to them. So let's start it out, shall we? By faith, verse four, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, and God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, now speaks. So by faith. I wanted to make this statement, is that you've been with us in the past, and there's a good opportunity. By the way, how many of you have gone through Hebrews with us? Raise your hand. Anybody? So a couple of people. Okay, good. So if you've gone through Hebrews in the past, so just like the six people (laughs) and people online, you're going to hear me say some of the same things. And you might ask yourself, why is that? Because the application never changes. And it hasn't changed for 2,000 years. And pastors have been applying it the same way. And so you might hear the same thing. Again, their walk of faith and standards didn't change. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. Actually, I apologize. Go back one more chapter to chapter 3. Now, chapter 3 describes the fall of man and how that, and we'll get to this in a minute, how Eve decided to listen to uh, the enemy, listen to Satan over God's word. And so the consequences were measured out. But it says here in verse 20 that Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. For Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, that's important because before this time, they were clothed in light. And when they sinned, they realized that they were naked. And so they were ashamed of that. And so they tried to cover themselves in... Miss Catherine, go ahead. Fig leaves. Now, I don't know about you, that would be not my first choice of underwear. And if you never have touched a fig leaf, go touch one. I like cotton or some other fabric, but not a fig leaf. And that's what man does. When man tries to cover his sin, it's uncomfortable. 
But when God does it, he provided for them tunics. He killed an animal and provided it for the. I, I, I want to see that video. I don't want to see their nakedness. I just want to see what the Lord had on two hangers. Be like, here they are, guys. Now, from that, because we use our mind in reason and logic, at some point, we would agree that God set forth what they needed to do to atone for sin. So, chapter 4. And so, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again this time Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock of the fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, listen to the Lord. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and it's desirous for you, but you should rule over it. Boy, That is an underlining, highlighting verse. What does it say? You and I have the power to to tell sin no. Did everybody hear that? Well, I, I can't. I mean, I had to give in to it. You do not. God says in his word that you do not have to do that. You have the power to do that. And as a believer, we have even more power than Cain and Abel had. They didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. We do. So we have even more power. Now, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Interesting, isn't it? Turn back now to Hebrews. Now, I want to say this before I start getting into notes about this section But there's a couple of things that we need to understand. Number one, when they first bring their sacrifice, it is very possible that this is not the first time they bring their sacrifice to God. It is very possible that Cain and Abel have been bringing the right sacrifices to God. And at some point, Cain's like, I've had it with having to give my brother corn and squash so I can get an animal and then sacrifice it. What I'm going to do is my own thing. So it is my belief, and we'll see when we get to heaven if this is true, that this isn't just the next day, right? Cain and Abel, we don't even know how old these guys are at this time. It is very possible because they lived into their 900 years at this point that these guys can be youths at 100. How would you like two guys, 90? And they raise up against another one, and again, The age that we know today is not the age of what they experienced back then. So we have no idea how long this period of time is. What I do know is that dad, Adam, would 
tell his boys that this is what God requires of you. At some point, as they're they're young boys, they see dad go off with that sheep or that bull and come back and there's just a skin now. And their dad would say, boys, we used to be on the other side in the Garden of Eden. By the way, the Garden of Eden is still there and there's an angel that is protecting it. It is very possible that they could see the Garden of Eden. Don't think it went away. It was there. And as he's telling them, Boys, this is what went on. Your mother and I were there, and God walked in the midst of the cool of the garden with us. We communed with God openly. Nothing was hidden. And then we fell. But God, he provided an animal. And this is what God requires. So now we come to this scene now in Hebrews where God tells us a little bit more of the story. He says in verse 4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous and that God testifying of his gifts. So, isn't it interesting that the heroes of faith do not have Adam and Eve to start? It starts with Abel. I think that's interesting. I think that they have forfeited their right in the beginning to be called one of the heroes of faith. And so Abel must have had some, again, revelation from dad. This is how you approach God. This is how you atone for your sin, is that there must be a shedding of blood. Again, he exhibited faith by approaching God with the blood of a sacrifice. Cain sacrificed with only vegetables and fruit, and that'll just teach all you veggie people. Listen, we're going to see that in the Bible, it's not about the sacrifice, although it is. Do you know that in the Bible, God gave provision for the poorest of the poor? And we know that Mary and Joseph gave two turtle doves. But he says, if you're poorer than that, then you can bring a grain offering. So it's not the fruit and the vegetables. Don't go down that path. It is the heart of the man, and we're going to talk about the heart of the man, and that was his problem. Um, A good old dead guy points out that it was not the personal excellence of Abel that God looked at in counting him righteous, but it was the excellence of the sacrifice and of his heart. And so with us, We are not justified because of our character or our good works. Hear that. Because that became Cain's problem. We are solely justified because of the excellence of the sacrifice of Christ and that God accepts that sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. That's what makes us right with him. Cain, like so many people, wanted to come to God on their own terms. Cain could have traded, and I think this happened before. It's interesting how God just lays stuff out as we reread it again. You know, you're, I mean, how many times have you read Cain and Abel and thought to yourself, at some point, Cain have traded his wares, right? his food for Abel's part of the flock. I'm sure at some point he did that, but he started to get fed up with it. 
like so many people get fed up with the church or doing religion, he said, I got a better plan. I'm not going to do what God wants and God's design. And so he did it because he wanted his own motives and God surely, he would think, had to accept because he had good intentions, did he? Do we not hear that from everyone on the internet? Well, I had good intentions. I don't care. Was it biblically right? Yeah, but I had good intentions. I don't care. Was it biblically right? I had good intentions. God doesn't care about your intentions. He cares if it's lining up with his word. That's all he cares about. He told the boys, this is how you come. And and Cain said, I don't want to come like that. I want to come my own way. So what happens? This is the first self-righteous man. The first self-righteous man was born. Not only that, this was the first man-based religion. He created his own religion. He said, I'm going to come to God this way, and God has to accept me because of my good intentions. Is that not what man-based religion is? I don't like the able way. I don't like that. So I'm going to come up with my own thing. And so people like Joseph Smith or uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever hail bop people you want to, they come up with their own thing because they don't like God's plan. And they say, well, you know, if I come to God this way, he has to accept me. Abel was killed by Cain because law hates grace. Self-righteous man hates the truth and that he cannot save himself and that he must cast himself on the love and mercy of God. Man, self-righteous people hate you and I who talk about grace. They hate it. You ever been around legalistic, self-righteous people? Are they not a bummer or what? I don't want to be around them. They got that frown. You know why? Because they're miserable in their self-righteousness, and they want you to be miserable. I'm not going down that path. That's a quality of life issue. Jesus died for my sins. I don't have to work my way, buddy. Thank you over here. Abel teaches us that whatever religious persecution we may face from Cain's, we can endure it, and God is well pleased with our life of sacrifice. I want to say that again. Tune in if you're asleep. Abel teaches us that whatever religious persecution, and remember, where did the persecution came from? came from the right and from the left. came from both. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So when religious persecution comes, when it comes from the Cain's, we need to know from Abel that we can endure it and that God is well pleased with our sacrifice. He's well pleased when you're persecuted by Cain's. Does that blow your mind? I didn't read that in the fine print. I don't think I like that. This Abel, this will... <laughs> Again, this account of Abel is able to minister to those whom the writer of the Hebrews is speaking towards. 
They are under assault from their former religious life. And Abel speaks from the ground. His blood speaks and says, you can be persecuted, but you can get through it. But you died. You won. You go right to the... You go right into the presence of God. And again, Abel's testimony is continual. Notice it still speaks. All right, that was the first guy, wasn't it? Pretty good, huh? Let's go to Enoch. I really want to get to Noah, so let's try. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Notice it says, and he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So we won't go to Genesis, but his account is in Genesis 5, verse 23. It just simply says that he had walked with God for over 300 years, and at some point he was walking with God, and then it said God took him. God raptured him out, took him away, because he had pleased God. How cool is that, that you are walking with God, and God just says, you know what? Heaven really isn't going to be heaven unless you're up here with me. How cool is that? Now, that's not what God thinks, right? Because God doesn't need us. It's that fellowship that we have with him. So Enoch walked with God for over 300 years. Why is that a big deal? Well, these Hebrew Christians had walked only a few years and... (laughs) and were being mistreated and they were attempted or they were tempted to just throw in the towel after a few years when life at their time was hard yeah it was hard during the time of hebrews but what was it like during the time of enoch well let's turn to jude chapter 1 oh you didn't think we'd go to the beetle should we You'll get that later. Jude 1, verse 14. The half-brother of Jesus says in verse 14, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them and their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoke against him. Now turn back. So what we have is Enoch lived in an increasingly wicked time. And he was able to walk with God. And so Enoch shows us that no matter how wicked and evil the world gets, we can still please God through our lives until God takes us home. He's got like a couple of one-liners in the Bible, but Enoch is one of the greatest examples of living in one of the most wicked times. He's living in the days of our next guy, Noah. And yet he proves that you can walk a walk of faith and you can please God in the midst of a world that is absolutely crazy evil. And so 
We can still please God through our lives until God takes us home, either individually or by the rapture of the church. Enoch's a great example of what it's like to live in an evil world and yet still walk and please God. It continues in verse 6, and it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. So this is very easy. How do you get saved? (laughs) Well, you believe that he is, that God created the heavens and the earth, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Would we come to him by faith that he will reward us at some point? Now, by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and become heir of the righteousness which is according to their faith. So right on the heels of Enoch, we have this guy, Noah. Again, in chapters 5 and 6, it gets into Genesis of the state and what God is telling know what to do. But it says here that Noah was divinely warned of things not seen. (laughs) Noah was warned of something that had never happened before. His faith was shown in not merely agreeing that the flood would come, but in the doing of what God told him to do regarding the flood that was to come. Because it says he was moved with godly fear. Now, listen, rain, we know. Oh, do we know in South Carolina what rain is? We know what it's like up at Arrowwood. Man, we get these torrential. We know what it's like. I remember the first month I was here, it rained every day at 3 p.m. in the summertime. Every day. It's never happened since. I don't know what God was saying. (laughs) But every day it would rain like 6,000 inches of rain. And it it would go away. So we know what it's like. We know what a lot of rain is. Now, Noah and the rest of the millions of people that lived in his day, they didn't know what rain was. You see, the Bible says that a mist came up from the earth and watered the world, watered the land. It had never rained before. How do you tell somebody what rain is if you don't have a reference of what it is? How do you tell somebody there's going to be a flood, let alone what's a boat? Think about the conversation of God and Noah. Noah? Yes, Lord. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready, Lord. It's going to rain. Great. What's rain? (laughs) He has no reference to it. You and I, we are 5,000 years after Noah. We know what rain is. We know what a flood is. We know what an ark is. (laughs) There's one in Kentucky. You can go see it. It's pretty, pretty incredible. He doesn't know what it is. Neither, and this is what you gotta get, Neither do the rest of the millions of people who are living in the day of Noah know what rain is. So when Noah tells eventually people who are coming by and seeing this massive building project, what are you doing, Noah? 
I'm building an ark. What's an ark? What's a boat? Well, it's going to rain. What's rain? It's going to flood. What's a flood? They don't know that. They don't have a frame of reference. Now Noah's kind of an awesome guy, isn't it? Because he believed in something that he had never seen before. He had never witnessed anything like that. And yet, what does he do for the next 100 years? How many of you have done anything for 100 years? Right? The longevity of this guy. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty thankful for no. There's a lot of people in the Bible, but we're pretty, like, you give them a fist bump, high five, hug the guy, you're like, way to endure. What if he felt like, listen, I build that boat every day. Can I take a day off? And then what does the wife say? No. Because judgment's coming and a flood's coming and we got to build it. Okay. Go out there, hammer again, put pitch on again. Eventually his boys will come to help him. But can you imagine that project? Can you imagine doing it without power tools? I get upset when I'm trying to drill a hole and I burned up a drill this week. I mean, smoke was coming out of it. And I burned it up. I'm like, man, now what do I do? I only had one. Well, I had to go with it. The one I burned up was a cordless. So I had to go get a cord one. And men or ladies, you know anything about a cord drill, it has the force of, I don't know, a World War II tank. And it'll snap your wrist in a second when it goes in and then gets locked up, which it did. Pretty excited about that one this week. And then you're missing that. I mean, he didn't have power tools. He didn't have the things that we could easily take and build. He had pegs. Did he have nails? What did he have? Did he have to make his own nails? Did he have to make his own brackets? I mean, I can't wait to watch this video in heaven. But that's not what it really is about. Noah teaches us that God may call on us to do the unheard of, the exceptional, when no one has ever heard of it before, and then they call you a fool. That's my favorite one. So God calls us to do something that's never been done before, and then he allows the fool to come along and say that you're a fool. See, we don't think about our, our walk with God that way. Again, in America, in our Christianity, we just... But there are people just waiting to call you stupid because you're believing in a God that you have never seen before. How can you believe in a Jesus that you've never seen? How can you believe in a guy on a cross? An empty tomb? Are you dumb? Are you delusional? You ever had that from your family? Your friends? And then it says he prepared an ark. Listen, real faith will always do something extraordinary. He started working on it. I don't even know what that conversation was like with the wife that night. Honey, I got to talk to you. Oh, yeah, what's going to? You know the forest next to our house? We're going to have to cut it all down. 
and there's going to be a lot of animals just wandering in. <laughs> Can you imagine that conversation? And then I have to give it to Noah's wife, you know, Joan of Arc. That took way too long for you to get. Way too, we know it's at the end of the message. That, yeah, way too long there. But she, by faith, also believed her husband and believed God. I, I like that too. What a great couple. So he prepared the ark. Real faith will always do something. The book of James tells us that over and over. Real faith looks like, this is what it looks like. It's works in action. Not works that save us. It just works. So again, for a hundred years, he worked on an ark. Listen, faithfulness when progress seems slow. Did you hear that? How many of you are in the midst of that right now? Faithfulness when progress seems slow. I mean... When you're working on a project, when we're up at Arrowwood and we're working on the project, because we're seeing it all the time, sometimes we, it's a hard time for us to see, like, you know, the progression of it. But then someone will come up and they're like, oh, my gosh, you got this done, you got this done. And sometimes we don't see it because we're right there. I mean, think about him going out there like, again, every single day doing the same thing. This thing is over 300 feet long. Stories high, pitch inside and out, that's tar. Massive beams holding it all together. I mean, at the end of it, this guy was probably as yoked as I am. But notice it says that he condemned the world. We shouldn't think that Noah was a man who preached sermons of condemnation to the world, but instead the mere conduct of a godly man without any preaching at all, can feel like condemnation to the world. Just simply that he was working on the project that long. Perhaps many of the early Jewish Christians to whom this letter was written often wondered why. If they were right, why were they, why were they in such a small minority? Noah steps out from the pages of the Old Testament to remind them that in his day only eight people were right and the rest of the world was wrong. Isn't that awesome? That God can call you to do something that seems physically impossible. God can call you to do something that no one has ever done before. But without the faithfulness of Noah, we're not here right now. The faithfulness of Noah, that eight group of people, we all come from the eight. Oh, we come from Adam and Eve, but we all come from the eight. Well, these first three heroes of faith are pretty, pretty amazing, aren't they? Again, Abel, wrapping it up, tells us not to worry about the self-righteous and the religious persecution. Enoch tells us that you can live in a crazy time in the world, a world of evil all around you, and you can still please God. <laughs> and Noah teaches us that God can tell you something very crazy, like go build a camp up in Spartanburg County. Listen, 
I fully admit to everyone in the room that Jesus could come at any moment, at any time. And the way that things are transpiring, I've had people say, why are, we, why are you still doing that? Why are we still doing Arrowwood? If, if you believe that Jesus is coming, which I believe. But Jesus said, occupy till I come. What if we just get the camp going and one of our camps or the Bible college, a couple of kids get saved in our hev- in our, in, and are in heaven? Was it worth the entire thing? Absolutely it was. Every dime, every muscle that hurts, it was worth everything. And whatever you go through your life, if one person gets saved because of it, it's worth everything that you went through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these men and women of faith. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you, not in the things of the world. We even trust in things that we don't see and yet still believe. Again, Lord, we thank you for these witnesses that have gone before us and now surround us and tell us that we can do it. We can run this race of faith. They leap off of the pages of Scripture and tell us it can be done. It can be done. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Lord, we do pray that you would continue to provide for us, Lord, for Arrowwood, for workers, and so that, Lord, it would be a place for people to come and to hear about the life-giver Jesus. We pray in advance for Sunday, and we pray for the hearts of those who don't know you, and that Sunday would be the day they would give their life to Jesus. So, Lord, thank you for those who serve in our time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's worship this last.